The Worker Learner Podcast is brought to you by the Professional Learning Hub, Griffith University's platform for executive and professional education. Bringing together the expertise of Griffith University's academics and research centres, our professional learning is designed to deliver creative solutions for the workplace of tomorrow. Whether you are looking for opportunities for yourself or your team, we have you covered. Hi, I'm Dr. Johanna Nalao and I'll be your host for this episode. I'm a climate adaptation scientist who is curious about how humans adapt to changing situations and how we, we can imagine futures under uncertainty. But even more, I am in love with curiosity and innovation and how we can envision futures. I recently worked on the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change 6 Assessment Report in Working Group 2, where I focus specifically on how we adapt to climate change. But change is all around and it is the one thing that's constant in life. And in interviewing people for this podcast, I hope to learn new ideas and principles in how we can make better decisions and inspire others for thriving futures. My guest today is Thomas Weaver, a startup founder turned climate fiction, fiction author. Thomas is curious about futures, how those might change, and what role technology can play in enabling a better planet. His debut novel, Artificial Wisdom, came out just a few months ago, and I had the chance to read it and absolutely loved it. The novel is set in 2050 and is an intriguing mix of technological progress, climate impacts, and geopolitics. So we will discuss the book today, what inspired the book and its story, and what Thomas sees as key skills in navigating uncertain futures. Thomas, welcome. Hi. Thomas, would you like to tell a little bit about yourself? So what has your professional journey been so far? I feel like I'm one of those people that, that's just done kind of everything. Um, you know, there was no career path for me like my you know, my father was an accountant, and my grandfather was an accountant. And, um, you know, there was nothing like that in my life. I, I've done a whole range of things, mainly, um, originally, actually, in designing school buildings and thinking about learning spaces and the experiences people had in physical environments and how you could change those experiences by changing the physical space. Um, and that kind of went on to become eventually my own consultancy, where it kind of evolved more into thinking about experience design in any kind of physical environment um, which then became how do we actually transform environments using digital um, and uh, long story short i came up with a startup based on this idea in the hospitality space which looked at transforming the hospitality experience using apps at the genesis kind of of the app age um, which i finally sold uh, back in 2018 to uh, just eat who uh, one of the main delivery um, providers, uh, you know, here in the UK. I think they are Menulog in the US, uh, in, uh, in Australia. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I was suddenly, you know, free. I'd actually spent my entire life trying to trying to build something and sort of asking myself, what next? Do I just sit here and, and kind of do nothing all day long? Um and decided that I would fulfill my lifelong dream of becoming a fiction writer. Um, so that was my, that's been my journey really since 2019, uh, 2020, actually early 2020, starting to write. Um, and uh, unfortunately me being me, like can't stop doing 
a hundred other things as well. So despite swearing, I'd never do another startup. I am doing another startup <laughs> um, and I'm investing and I'm, I'm doing a bunch of stuff. Okay. Um, so I think the mix of like writing and then being an entrepreneur is really interesting. So how, how do you, do you see a relationship between those two and does the one, like does one inform the other? Um, well, so I would taking that last bit first, I think science fiction and technology do inform each mm. other. Um, you know, I think some of the greatest ideas we have in technology today come from science fiction. You know, Star Trek was incredibly influential on a bunch of devices, not the least of which is the mobile phone, um, but also, you know, voice computing and um, and touch screens and a whole whole number of different things. But all sorts of different fiction written and TV has informed technology. Um, and every creator of science fiction uh, writes based on the fiction on the technology of their time. Mm. Um, so, you know, I was looking forward at what technology do we have today that I can extrapolate forward 30 years. Um, and sometimes we get that right and sometimes we get that horribly wrong. You know, my, my classic example is flying cars yeah. in Back to the Future 2 in 2015. You know, that didn't happen. Um, but I do think that the greater one for me is this uh, you see in all sorts of TV fiction, people using screens a thousand years from now, you know, physical screens. And uh, I think looking at the technology of today, I just don't buy that. So, so yeah, I think there's an interesting relationship between those two things. And certainly being a tech founder helped me write. And actually mm. my latest startup has been inspired by some of the stuff that I, I wrote about. So it, there is some um, some relationship there for sure. So, I mean, you're clearly a man of ideas. Um, so would you like to say, how, how does an idea form for you? So obviously we discussed that, you know, some of, like it seems to me that your kind of business ideas and then these creative ideas in, in science fiction are kind of really quite in, intertwined. But how does an idea start? And at some point it kind of transfers into, into a business. So what's your idea, um, think, idealization process like? Is there one? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, do I have a process? It's very chaotic, I'd say that for sure. Um, I think business and, and fiction start in different places. Um, they both start, actually, they both start with a what if question. You know, what if we created a platform that did this? Uh, you know, what if uh, we had a story where this happened? Um, but they diverge very quickly at that point because... To create a great business, you have to ask yourself, what is wrong with the world today and how can I fix it? Um, and to create a great story, you have to think, um, you know, what is an interesting uh, concept or conflict that hasn't been told yet that I want to, to dig into? It's a, it's a lot more open-ended. Um, and my, my, you know, the story ideas, I'd say it's, it's chaotic. I mean, sometimes I come up with a, lot, like a long list of different ideas and then I chat it through with people I trust and say, okay, which ones do you think are interesting? And sometimes, I mean, my second book, I just sat down um, and, and I had this crazy, just, I had a number of notes in my, in my folder on my phone, you know, my life, my Apple notes folder. And I kind of picked three things and, and put them together. Um, and I actually like this kind of method of creativity. I think I've heard of, um, there's a famous author, Brandon Sanderson, who referred to it as kind of trying to combine um, the the surprising um, and the uh, you know the the 
the understood. I'm not sure he's framed it quite like that. But if I said, you know, Harry Potter in boarding schools, which everybody kind of knew or was mm. used to, things like Mallory Towers and the Blight, and combined with wizards, which was fresh and interesting and hadn't been kind of done, um, you know, you, Star Wars was um, combining samurai with space. You know, you've got these these combinations of ideas which generate new stuff. Um, and that's definitely the case a little bit in business as well. You go, what if we took, uh, I don't know, what does messaging look like in augmented reality when you don't have a keyboard and you don't have a, a camera a foot away from your face? You know, what does that look like? Mm. Um, so, the, the, okay, similarities in process, but I would say the business one then goes much more into, well, here's what's broken about the current way of doing things and, uh, you know, here's an idea to fix it. And, and I generally have a, a multi-part framework for thinking through those things, which is um, I would say, okay, currently the world looks like this. Um, this is a problem because, and describe the problem. Um, and then uh, then I have a, you know, what if question, like what if this, this could happen, mm. that could happen. And then finally I try and drill that into a solution. Um, so, would you, so then, would you say that business is more is more about solution than fiction is? Um, yeah, because I think fiction has the um, has a role in trying to imagine the very worst things that can happen. Um, that is part of what makes mm. story interesting. You know, it's the conflicts. Um, once heard it said, you know, whenever you're stuck in a in a story, just uh, the Stephen King process what's the very worst thing that could happen to somebody at this moment you know and then write that <laughs> um you, you know whereas obviously technology is trying to make the world mm. you know a better place um they don't always succeed i always believe with technology that i mean i'm i'm i love technology i'm i'm tech enthusiast i believe that every single thing that we um that we build with technology that improves our lives has some hidden cost to it uh, you know, smartphones mm. connected us uh, with the world in a way that we've never experienced before and stole our attention in the process. So we have this kind of duality, but, you know, the, the aims are normally good. The, the aims yeah. are, wouldn't it, be wouldn't it be great if you could mm. have this world in which everybody's voices could be heard equally? Well, that was, you know, social media. Um, now, there's bad sides of social media, but yeah. it has enabled people like you and me to meet that mm. wouldn't have, we wouldn't have met before. Um, I'm really curious though, like, because a lot of authors, you know, they write about the history and they write about the past and what has happened, but why, why is 2050 exciting for you? Like, why did you pick mm. that? I'm not going to say that year, but that, you know, where you're writing in the future, what, what's the most exciting thing about that? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very attracted about, about writing in the future because, well, first of all, it, it gives you a safe space to explore difficult things today without people feeling too directly um like you're criticizing them um you know and, and, and my aim is to is to broadly make people think i want people to be questioning stuff and imagining stuff and so there was a whole bunch of stuff that went into my first book um you know around things like disinformation and polarization mm. and um you know the impact of technology on democracy democracy and all this sort of stuff which is not core at all to the plot line or you know has has minor inputs on it but um is a is aimed at making people think um and you can tell these uh stories in the future that kind of imagine the worst case scenarios of these things that stimulate thoughts 
Um, and because it's that little bit removed from today, I think uh, it just provides that safe space for exploration. So that's my my key attraction to the future. Um, and, uh, and and I'm excited about the future. I'm always excited about the future. I ever was since I, since I was a kid. I, I wanted to know, you know, what would the world look like in uh, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years time. Um, and of course, being a sci-fi writer, I'm, I'm trying to imagine both the best and the worst cases mm. of those scenarios. I'm trying to show, hey, here's some really good bits and, and here's some bits that if we don't fix today, will will not look so good. Yeah, and I really like what you said about having, like, using the future as a safe space um, and, and the role of imagination because I think, I mean, I teach climate, climate adaptation and, and I have one whole week that's dedicated for future visioning and, and you know, trying mm. to engage people in that imagination of the future, how, um, how things could be, like, in, in terms of mm. positive terms and also what does a thriving future, I always say, what does a thriving future by 2040 look like? I mean, that's a bit closer. Um, and yeah. it's really interesting to see how a lot of my students after, after that week, they're kind of like, they have this new awareness of why we need imagination and why we need to, you know, imagine, for instance, thriving futures. So yeah, I think that's yeah. great. I mean, for me, um, storytelling is such an ancient art of helping people imagine possibilities. And my book in particular is focused on two main possibilities. One is what happens if the climate um, isn't sorted today. Like if we if we continue to let it get out of control, what does that look like? And the second is what if um, artificial intelligence reaches a point of super intelligence where it is able it is able to deal with very very complicated decisions uh, and act on those. Um, so my story is at the sweet spot of those two things and trying to imagine what that world would be. And I think that's important because. Um, we can reach a lot more people through stories than we could through a documentary, say, where we where we preach and we say this is what's going to happen if you don't sort things. Um, the problem is that will that hits the fact center and it, it can make people turn off, whereas a story can hit the emotional centers and make people really imagine themselves in that setting in twenty thirty years time. Um, and we have to be careful about this. I think there's some ethics yeah. involved in writing sci-fi. Um, it, it could be used to manipulate and, and, and certainly um, there is an argument that anybody writing about climate today to a certain section of people will be seen as, as writing essentially propaganda. But I'm okay with that because I believe this is the positive propaganda that we kind of need. Yeah. We need people to engage with a problem when people are trying to deny that there's a problem exists. So th there are some downsides um, to it and um, there is also the ethical obligation to think about the impact of how we're shaping these stories. As an example, if we continue to write a bunch of Terminator-esque robot-killing stories about artificial intelligence, then um, try as we might, that will shape our view of, of AI, and we may not be able to escape it. We, we, we may end up kind of almost building these things even though we know that's what we're trying to get away from, those stories are trying to tell, like, hey, this is what will happen if you build kind of killer droids. Like, and, and that's important. But mm. if all of the stories about that, then 100% of our imagination about AI is locked into, into there. And it, it kind of does steer. It's like a weird pull of 
tech development in that direction as well. So I do think it's important ethically as a as a writer when you're telling stories to to think about uh, think about what you're trying to say, the impact it might have on on our thought, uh, our global thought, our narratives, the stories we tell each other, the way we think about things like AI and climate and technology and other stuff. Um, so in, in terms of like thinking about technology and future, what are some of the mistaken assumptions that people seem to hold? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think as we've sort of said, you know, I think there's this whole um, idea that things move quicker than we imagine mm. they will do in some domains and, um, and slower than we're going to imagine in others. So we didn't get flying cars by 2015, but, um, you know, by it's 2023 and we have a bunch of devices that can project uh, screens in our vision and yet we're still seeing sci-fi with screens so uh, as I've already said and I think the classic um, challenge with extrapolating the future is uh, is is timeline is time span and so the way I tried to do it was to think about um, S-curves and S-curves are this really useful way of looking at uh, technological progress where any new technology is like comes in at the bottom of an S, where it's kind of flatlining for a while, and the existing technology seems like it's better, and you kind of mm. think, well, this new one is never going to replace it. Which is where, uh, let's say, augmented reality, or, or let's say the Apple Vision Pro is coming out now. You know, so you're going to have these goggles that you put on your face, and everybody will look at it and go, well, to be honest, that's fine, but I'm not going to wear that out. So the phone is currently still a better way of engaging with my digital life so the phone is at the top of its s-curve right but the the vision pro is at the bottom as that technology starts to take off it goes almost exponentially upwards in adoption and usage and capability um and 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 adoption is the key bit of this axis right so it's going up and then it reaches kind of peak adoption and it levels off at the top of an s just like the mobile phone has now um and whilst it's leveling off, new technology will come along to replace it. And that typically, if you look at all of the, and, and there's a guy called Benedict Evans who used to work at um, one of the Silicon Valley's top VCs, A16Z, Andresen Horowitz, um, and he, he's got this wonderful chart that shows a bunch of different technologies and the pace of their S-curve. You know, how long did it take for radio mm. to become big? How long did it take for TV to come, become big? And, and so on. Our S curves are getting are getting sharper and quicker. Um, you know, our adoption rates are getting much 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 faster. And um, but you can still say that really it's like twenty years to really kind of full penetration of, of mm. the, the, top, the top of an S curve. Like a mobile, like the Apple iPhone is. Uh, well, is, it, is it twenty years? It's probably coming up to about twenty years old, right? It's mm. probably not there yet. I know they're on iPhone 15, but it's um, yeah. surely it can't have just been 15 years. <laughs> but that, that's a great example, right? Everybody mm. has a smartphone today, whereas uh, you know, say 18 years ago, nobody had a smartphone. So you've, yeah. we are in that in that process now. I I I tried to look ahead, essentially one and a half cycles of, of S curves, and coming up with something for 30 years, and trying to think, okay, what technology is really raw and nascent today that might have matured tomorrow and then we'll have the, the next thing coming up just behind mm. it and i could write therefore about technologies that felt still mature in 2050 yeah. because they were at the top there they would still be around they'd still be being used but they would also start to be this 
um, these new things that were starting to come along. Mm. That gets harder once you go further out. If I was writing in the year 3000, like I've, <laughs> I've got to think much, like, there's a lot more going on, right? You, yeah. It's almost, you can't really extrapolate from today. You've just got to take these massive wild leaps. So, mm. um, so yeah, that, that's broadly where, where authors kind of fall is like, where, where are we, what, how far ahead in the future are we, are we writing and, um, mm. and what's our view of, of how technology will have evolved in that time. Yeah, that, yeah, that's very, very cool. I mean, you know, because I work in climate adaptation, so a lot of the stuff that we look at, it's, you know, it's, yeah, 2040, 2050 and beyond. Um, and it's interesting, yeah, it's been interesting researching, like, people's time perceptions. Um, mm. And somebody said, somebody said that in 2015, Every person that was asked the question, where do you see yourself in five years? Nobody answered correctly. Because <laughs> <laughs> 2020, we're, 2020 yeah. we were all at home. And, you know, um, and, and that often makes me think about these things, you know, when we think about these long-term futures, how, but there's all this kind of even global like curveballs like COVID that, that come and kind of, you know, make this disruption change, change everything yeah and you, yeah. you know you can't you can't plan for that but um so so one thing i just to come kind of completely wipe out everything i've just said one one major thing that is changing is that i do think we've been on a, a relatively uh shallow curve upwards of technological progress since you know the industrial revolution mm. uh, we've seen a lot of change i mean look my grandma is 99 um or and you know when i think about what she's seen since 1924 it's unbelievable you know mm. she's sat there using an ipad she's still you know she's just unbelievable but um but technology is uh improving now at a much more exponential pace it is getting faster and faster and faster and the big thing that will make that curve go almost kind of vertically up is if we get to the stage where ai um, in all its forms, can program itself, or can can kind of uh, do, use things like three D printers and improve its own hardware. Um, you know, th there could be a number of things. I'm not talking about kind of self perpetuation of of AI itself, but um, the ability for chips to suddenly um, get radically better overnight. You know that that sort of thing is is where it gets fascinating to think. You know, what if computing power, which has been on, you know, the, the Moore's law for however long, suddenly um, de decouples from that because actually we've got the ability now to improve it faster than we ever have. Mm. So that obviously prevents uh, presents worries. It presents challenges. Um, you know, what if what if AI suddenly then you know get, becomes super intelligent overnight and um, turns everybody into paper clips? Um, <laughs> the, uh, the but but it also means that we may we may discover technological solutions to some of our biggest problems. Let's say nuclear fusion and providing clean energy, or um, you know carbon storage, or whatever it may be. We may discover it in a time span that is much faster than um, the time spans that we're used to in technology. Uh, and that's kind of exciting to think that mm. actually progress can, at the time when we probably need it most, that technology may actually be able to move faster and solve things quicker.
But it's very true. And I think it's, yeah, I mean, that's a good illustration because I feel like a lot of the, you know, there's almost like two opposite camps often, like with AI. It's like those who say that it's going to, you know, super evolve and destroy us all. <laughs> and, the, you know, the other is like, no, 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 it's all like good, good for progress. Um, but I think what, like, what I really enjoyed about your book is it's kind of it shows both um, in different, different ways and different layers. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of fear, and, and rightly. Like, I mean, this is this is the time um, we're in this unique window between where we finally understand AI is coming and is and is incredible, and it's a tool that can change everything. Um, because of the last few years, of things like ChatGPT and the journey and all this stuff has suddenly shown us capabilities beyond what we could have imagined at the beginning of 2020, um, and we're in a time before we reach a point where it is um, it, it is generally intelligent. You know, we, we haven't reached a point yet where we have artificial general intelligence or any kind of um, self-awareness of whether that will ever come or not. Who knows? Because I think even the way that we think about AI is a little bit wrong. We think about it in human terms, whereas actually it is just a, it's a, like an incredible set of self-learning tools. Um mm. And so, but now is now is the time to to have these debates and, and argue and, and think about how we protect ourselves and how we limit certain mm. things. And I've, I've kind of got a lot of ideas in my head going around at the moment um, about, especially as I'm trying to write an artificial wisdom sequel, but trying to think about um, you know loopholes and mandates and you know how do you how do you make sure that if you are setting controls on AI that you haven't accidentally left the loophole in the system. And, the, the, and the, I mentioned paperclip, so the, and it was a, it's a gag, but somebody had mentioned, you know, the, the worst case scenario yeah. for AI is you, you set them this mission of, of making paperclips and you forget to kind of mandate that it, it can't just use whatever it can find and it strips the world of all metal and then realizes that humans have iron in their blood and turns us all into paperclips. You know, this is somebody's thought experiment of, mm. Uh, of how bad AI could go. Um, now, do I? How many systems would you have to have it hooked up to to to, to do that? I don't know, but um, <laughs> but this is this is the kind of debates that people are uh, are having in the industry right mm. now, and rightly so. So it's October twenty twenty three, and yeah, the world's not not in a good way, um, especially recently. Are are you still optimistic about the future? Um, I think it will depend on whether we're taking a micro or a macro view of, as the thing. So like I, mm. and that's always been the case. Um, you can, you could argue humanity from a macro perspective has gone through, you know, the most incredible ride over the past 5,000 years. You know, look at how much we've achieved. Look at the lives we lead today compared to people, you know, three, four, five thousand 5,000 years ago. Um, from a micro view, like how how much tragedy uh, has been experienced along the way of those events? How mm. many things have um, you know disasters or wars or horrible things have, have have happened? You know, we we are very fixated with as beings with very short lives. We're very fixated on uh, on us and our children and our loved ones. And and again, it's completely right to to be so. And I do think that the world is changing at a pace faster than it's ever changed before. And so we will experience upheaval in our lifetimes 
way beyond what my 99-year-old grandmother experienced in her lifetimes. And she went through, you know, world wars and, and the Cold War and, you know, a massive technological revolution. Um, we will see change that is much greater than that. I'm not saying it's going to be another world war, but I'm just saying mm. it's it's going to be dramatic. And, you know, we've got the climate issue to deal with, which will, which will change everything. It will change uh, borders and nations and, and how we deal with things like refugees and um, and technology. And it, it's just the, the number of areas that will impact our lives in the next 30 years are going to be profound. So there will be a number of tragedies along the way and there will be um, people we can't predict. You know, might, it's not just going to be just people from a third, we don't call them third world nations anymore, country, from mm. nations that, um, you know, classically would have been hit by a bunch of these problems. Um, it, it, it could also equally be rich European nations, Australia. Um, you know, we, we're all going to face issues that will change the face of our world. But am I optimistic? Yeah, I am. Because you know what? We're, we're quite incredible human beings. We have capabilities mm-hmm. which are, which we, we forget. Have, uh, I mean, look at what we have achieved in a really relative short amount of time. I mean, 5,000 years sounds like a long period, but if you actually count that in generations, that's actually not a crazy number of generations. And, um, you know, what will the world look like five generations from now? Well, uh, you know, I really, I imagine we will still have challenges. I imagine we'll have things where we're thinking, my God, are we even going to survive this? But at the same time, I do think we will, we will be in an incredible place. So, um, you know, I'm optimistic when I think about the long-term view of things and even the long-term of our lives. I think that there will be horrible upheaval and, and, um, you know, and some people will have uh, bad stuff happen and we may have bad stuff happen. But as a species, I think that we will still see progress in our lifetimes, which will be outstanding. All right. On that note, (laughs) that's um, at least that's a very, yeah, very positive uh positive and negative <laughs> vision of the future um i've really enjoyed chatting with you um it's been great to great to hear your thoughts and also learn about the professional skills and ideas that that you have and very rich rich history or <laughs> professional journey that that you've been on so thanks so much for sharing you're welcome thank you for having me on The Worker Learner Podcast was brought to you by the Professional Learning Hub, Griffith University's platform for executive and professional education.